Welcome to this Food Thing podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to this Food Thing podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Jamie Bourne. Until 2020, Jamie worked in an office job in marketing, going to the gym in his spare time. When the pandemic hit, pandemic even hit, he, like many others, decided to change his life and turn his passion, fitness, into a career as a personal trainer. He's always eaten well and healthily, but since starting his PT business and competing in functional fitness competitions, his eating habits have changed dramatically. He is also studying for a nutritional qualification. Jamie, welcome to this Food Thing podcast. Thanks for having me. That's my pleasure. You do have to study nutrition, don't you think, as a personal trainer? I think it... Um, I didn't think that when I first started my PT business. Okay. Um, I think that there's a lot of PTs out there giving nutrition advice that they're probably not qualified to give. Right. Um, <laughs> which is a reputational issue for PTs and for the fitness uh, industry. Oh, is it? Okay. I, I think, I think, and um, so for me, when I started out, I thought I'll just focus on the training side and the fitness okay. side because there's a lot to focus on even in that. Um, but even in the short time I've been doing it, the last kind of couple of years, people just kind of kept asking me whether it was something I could help them with. Um, and I think the more that I've done it, the more I've wanted to be able to give a kind of more well-rounded solution to people and help them with it. Yeah. So that's why I did. But I, I think it's important to have a working knowledge of, but I think you could be a great PT and not do nutrition coaching. I'm not sure about that because okay. I want the whole package. But would with that in mind, let's go back to your nutritional qualification a bit later. Would you say that you are uh, food as a friend or as a foe? How would you describe your relationship with food? I would definitely say friend. Okay. I love, I'm a food lover. Okay. And has it always been that way? Yeah. Has I would it? say, I would say, so. I'd say so. I've always, I would always have described myself as liking food. And I would always have said I had, and I probably would have said it was quite a, you know, not quite a fundamental part of my identity, I suppose. I always would have described myself as someone with a big appetite. Did you overeat? Probably. Probably. I was overweight, so okay. I, as I would have overweaten, not not drastically or significantly, but um, certainly I was certainly overweight until four or five years ago. So were you overweight when you were a kid? I was always, or I certainly would have viewed myself as the, on the chubby side. Yeah. And a lot of my, and, and in my group of friends when I was at school, I was probably the, one of the like, chubbier ones in a kind of puppy fat kind of way but the chubster there's always a tall one isn't there yeah a tall lot of, one, for some reason all, all my friends were tall and skinny maybe it was just maybe i was normal and they were yeah maybe <laughs> just extra tall and skinny they were like aliens yeah yeah now i think about it they all they're a weird bunch so okay so a little bit chubby as a kid but you weren't you didn't feel in any way compromised by it or not really. I I was I played lots of sports when I was mm -hmm. a kid. Both mm -hmm. my parents were very sporty. Mm -hmm. I, it was a big part of my school life, um, and I was kind of reasonably like reasonably handy at most sports in the sense that you know I've got good hand-eye coordination. I can kick a ball. I can hit. But I wasn't amazing at anything, and I think I probably did feel like I was slightly held back by the physical side. Okay. 
but I still enjoyed all that stuff I did in sport as a kid and as a teenager. It does help, doesn't it, if you're sporty and you can fit yeah. in with everybody. What was what was um, what was food like at home? Um, it well, I, I I would say I see myself very lucky in that sense. My um, both my parents are into food, can cook, and you know did did cook like my mum. So when I was at school, I probably my mum probably did most of the cooking, um, and for the most part, I mean, she, it was it was a kind of whole foods. It was like it was what I would call like real food, mm-hmm. um, which is why, I, as I say, I see myself as very lucky in that sense because it's not that easy for everyone to eat that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, but I, I definitely remember always the portions being. Certainly for me, just just wanting larger portions. Okay. I, I particularly compared to my my brothers, because I, okay. so I have two younger brothers, one of um, one of whom is quite close in age to me, and one of whom is a little bit younger, and they are both much skinnier in build than me naturally. Okay. Um, and so I definitely, when I was a kid, I was the one who would finish the plate, have some more, and they, or certainly the, the one closest in age to me, would be sort of the opposite. What's the difference in age between the one closest to you? Uh, he's two years younger than me. Okay. Do you remember what your what was your relationship like with him when you were younger? Like tiny, you know, six, seven, eight. I don't know about that. Oh, we've you know it, it's been fractious at times. Because I'm just wondering about being the eldest child mm-hmm. and having your mum and dad to yourself, and then someone else rocks up, and I'm just wondering how if it gets. Um, kind of transposed onto your eating and whether you want more because you want, this is really tenuous. I'm just <laughs> making it up as usual. But I'm just wondering what goes on in that, that your little head and wanting more, more of your parents' attention and love and it comes in the form of food so that you're not conscious of it. It's yeah. just a, it's thought, it was a thought as you were talking to me. Yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, it makes sense. It does, isn't it? It does make sense, yeah. You could argue it in court. You could. Yeah, it's not the only argument. <laughs> <laughs> so what what do you think the messages about food were from your mum and from your dad? Um, I suppose, you know, there's an, probably an emphasis on quality. I guess just coming back to the like whole foods thing, mm-hmm. you know, I ate vegetables, you did, yeah, yeah. yeah, I ate vegetables when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, I certainly, my memory of it is that I would or would have been encouraged to try new things. Right. Um, <laughs> and I, I, rem- I mean, my youngest brother, I remember being on holiday once and him being bribed to try new things. That always used to be the running joke is okay. he'd eat an olive if you gave him a pound and things like <laughs> That's that. That's a really expensive olive. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's clearly a very canny business mind. <laughs> Yeah, even as a young boy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, trying new things, vegetables. I would have eaten, you know, not every, not everyone's lucky enough to eat. Have you eaten? I'm not saying I'm eating steak every night, but like sure. to have eaten steak on a or, or fish yeah. on a weeknight and things like that. That was all kind of part of the kind of normal things we would. So, and were you was your eating very much three meals a day, no snacks in between? Were you allowed to go to the cupboard and help yourself? Could you have a chocolate bar at 10 o'clock in the morning? What was it like in the house? Um, yeah, I think it was in the house. It probably was fairly, fairly free, fairly open like that. I mean, I 
obviously a large part of the day was at school. I had school lunches the whole way through and the school tuck shop was definitely part of daily eating. Uh-huh. Um, and even actually, I remember being, how old would I have been? Eight, nine, ten. And there being a off-license next to the bus stop. Okay. And that being a fairly regular occurrence to be going to the off-license for sweets. That's what you're going to say, a bottle bus. of vodka. Okay. Not a bottle of vodka, <laughs> just loading up on sugar. Right. Um, but you'd all do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A group of friends would do that. Like, you know, me, everyone who lived... Yeah. Going back to the same village off school, that would just be kind of part of, you'd go to the bus stop, you'd go to the off-license, get some sweets, get on the bus. And similarly for the kind of tuck shop and break times during the day. Um, so I guess like sweeter elements uh-huh. were definitely quite a normal part. If there was a snack happening, it probably was something sweet. And that wasn't limited by your parents? Um, I don't remember it being overly limited i had a tin you see the reason i'm asking but i'm a bit older i had a tin and i was allowed three sweets from that tin a day <laughs> Explains i remember, quite a lot I remember the biscuit tin we had at home um maybe they just weren't aware of all the all the tuck shop goings on probably not okay okay um did you did you cook when you were a kid with your mum or your dad were you grown up did you grow up knowing how to prepare food and how to buy it. Was it that kind of family? Probably not until I went off to uni when I, when I needed to, I guess. And then it was definitely when, when it became a situation where I would need to cook, buy my own food and, and cook it. Mm. They definitely supported me in that and helped me with that and encouraged that. And um, so probably as I was getting closer to that age of leaving home, I would have started to get more involved with cooking. Um and we could, and we all actually. I don't. One of my brothers is currently at university, so I don't know what he's eating at the moment. But um, yeah, that's still something that we're encouraged to do and get involved in at home. Would you rather cook for someone or be cooked for? Uh, be cooked for. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The There's food's no the best hesitation <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt. When you were overeating when you were younger. Do you remember the feeling of it? Do you remember what you were trying to do if you were trying to fill yourself physically? I can't say that I I do. I could because my weight, when I say I was chubby, I wouldn't say it like went up and up and up and up and up over from the ages of 10 to 18. It was just a fairly constant state of just being a bit chubby. So you never lost control and over it? And then had feelings of, I don't know, regret or remorse? Not not that I can remember and not that stayed with me. Okay. Really. Has that ever happened to you as an adult when you've been working out and you're on some kind of regimen, certain things to eat, and then you fall, fall off? And uh, My view on it, certainly now, and mm. it being my job, is, mm. is that I would never say I'm on something that I could be off. Oh, okay. Um, you know, the, the way that I eat now... It's a, it's a dial that turns up and down. Okay. But it's not an on the wagon, off the wagon situation. And if I have one too many beers on a night out or I have a takeaway, it's a, well, that's not quite ideal for what I'm working for right now, but it's not a major issue. Okay. Because I'm because I'm certainly not prepared to give that up. Right. So you, you, you balance it, you moderate your intake. Yeah. 
It's yeah. not the end of the world. No. You don't go into the gym and do an extra two minutes on the treadmill or lift a heavier barbell. No, no. If anything, the extra calories are helpful for mm. the type of training I do now. Mm. So, I was talking to someone the other day who was telling me about a book by, what's he called? He's a sports nutritionist. Is it James Collins? Uh, Have you heard of him? I can't remember. James, what. James Smith? Not sure. No. We could now sit here for 15 yeah, minutes. Just naming... James Jones? Yeah. No, was it Mark? He talks about um, fueling the night before mm-hmm. if you're going to work out in the morning. Yeah. Not so much about macro and micronutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, my physio was telling me about this and he was saying, you probably don't eat enough because I was saying I've stopped exercising so much and I feel much better. And he said, it's probably because you weren't eating enough in the beginning. Mm. Mm. That's how we got onto it. I'll find out the name in a minute when we okay. have a break. Um, okay, so you go to uni and you're looking after yourself and cooking. Mm-hmm. And are you exercising a lot at uni? Are you very sporty? Yeah, I, I was, again, not in a particularly any kind of elite way, but I was playing in a football team with a bunch of guys and I was playing a little bit of rugby. And university was where I really started going to the gym and lifting weights. And that became... A, a thing I did it wasn't it was just part of just kind of started to become a little bit more of my identity I suppose that's, which now it's a very fundamental part of that identity that's interesting so did you have a gym on campus yeah yeah a gym on campus and then so that on the first year and then in second and third year kind of moving out of halls and living with friends it was something that I, I lived in a house of six guys in my second year and then five and third and it was something that all of us as a house would go and do did you? You go and work out on mass. Yeah, yeah. Not all of us, all the time. Um, some were <laughs> more regular gym goers than others, but yeah, kind of. It was something that was social for sure. Okay, and what was it? Was it also about? Obviously, it's about how you look. It's aesthetic, isn't it? Was it, is. it also about anything else? Um, I, I think. I mean, I've always just liked it. I, I liked what do you going like about and, and it? lifting weights. What do you like about it specifically? I think that come, going from, I played pretty much all team sports mm-hmm. at some level when I was at school and then going into the gym and being able to kind of be competitive and just against yourself, I think I quite liked. Okay. Um, now I've kind of gone the opposite way and I yeah, do and functional kind of team fitness workouts competitions. and competitions against other people, but... Like when I was getting into the gym and lifting, it was still in that, I guess we, it was still, we were still very much in the kind of like post bodybuilding-y, everyone went into, the guys went into the gym, you did chest day and you did leg day. That was still very much a thing when I started going to the gym. Okay. It's a little bit less of a thing now. Okay. Okay. Um, I just remember I went to a bodybuilding competition once. <laughs> okay. I went to, because I used to go to this gym where all the gladiators trained. Right, okay. Right, this is like a long time ago. And everyone was into bodybuilding. Yeah. Bodybuilding. And so all you could ever smell was tuna <laughs> and rice cakes. And oh, sweet lovely. corn yeah. and steroids. Nice. <laughs> anyway, I went to a competition once and it was just it was just extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that, like there's still It was you, like a non event. Yeah, it's a strange Phenomena. It's a strange old world, isn't it? It's a strange old world. And it influenced, you know, not every guy is going into the gym wanting to look like that. But I think it did. It certainly influenced a lot of young men getting into the idea of lifting weights and as aesthetics. People, you know, the idea of what you could do changing the way you looked and 
the and I guess like the lengths you had to go to to get a certain way. I think it's interesting the point about if you're competing against yourself, there's a kind of like a there's a release in pressure there with without competing against other people, and then you get to know your limits, don't you? Yeah, and then you can enter. Yeah, back into the arena, really. Yeah, you do, and and also it it's something that you're in control of. You know, you're not. I think probably what I quite liked about you, it's not about the team you're playing on the other side necessarily, but if you improve, then you are, it's up to you. If you take responsibility for that, you can control it. If you want to get better at something, you can do it. Yeah. You've got to put the effort in. That's a good metaphor for life. We're going to take a quick break. Okay. Welcome back to this Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Jamie Bourne. And I've just been looking up James Collins. I was right. It's not James Smith. Mark or Bob, James Collins, performance nutrition. So he's a athletic nutritionist, Team GB, Olympic mm. nutritionist. Jamie's just gone to sleep opposite me. <laughs> and we were talking about, um, uh, in the break, about going into, this is a slightly different episode from normal because normally I'm talking about food, but we're going to talk about exercise right now. I'm one of those people who go to the gym or exercise in the morning and I don't eat anything. Right. I have coffee. Okay. And I'm so used to that. Yeah. I might have some peanut butter, but the thought of actually eating food and then working out is, ugh, it's like an anomaly to me. Yeah. I think, and I think that a lot of people find that. I mean, certainly if I'm doing a morning class in the gym, the vast majority of people are coming in not having eaten anything, um, which is fine if that works for them. There's not necessarily a, a categorical right or wrong way to do that. Um, but if you, that was what you were doing and you found that you were always a little bit low energy in the gym at that yeah. time, then it, that might be something that you would look to kind of change up. Actually, I'm going to now retract and contradict myself. It's quite good to eat about an hour or an hour and a half before, isn't it? it something is. light. It is. It's tough when you're, you know, your, your go-to gym class is six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that doesn't do happen that. anymore Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> not sure it ever did. No, not six o'clock. Yeah, that, but that's way too early to work out. Oh, tell me about Lots it. Lots of people. Yeah. <laughs> too early for me to work out. Okay. But that's actually what you have to do when you start to be a PT and you build a business. You I'm, have to work at those times. Yeah, I'm, I'm in there coaching at, you know, 6 o'clock, 6.15. So what time do you get up? Um, Kind of 5.15. What if, time? If that's, if that's happening an hour wow. before. Wow. It's a lot easier in the summer. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. So... Okay, let's go back a bit though. Um, when you so you're at uni, mm -hmm. you're going on mass with your buddies to the gym. Mm -hmm. I've got all six of you lined up, dominating the machines. Yeah, you're probably imagining a much more impressive lineup <laughs> than it was. <laughs> Gotta have your fantasies, you know that. <laughs> um, so, and you went for aesthetic reasons, but also you enjoyed it because you were competing against yourself. Yeah, I'm sure you find it a great stress reliever. Yeah, definitely. And then you leave uni and you go into a job in marketing mm -hmm. and you're office bound. Are you? Yeah. 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 It was, it was a class, I mean, not over a nine to five, but it, it was sat at a desk for the vast majority of the day, like a lot of people. And then going to the gym in the evenings, occasionally trying to turn myself into a morning gym goer, yeah. failing at that, going back to evenings, but definitely being... One or, you know, a, a guy who went to the gym, you know. 
Was there a culture of exercise? Did you work in an advertising agency? Yeah, media uh, yeah, agency? Yeah, like a communications agency. So an integrated agency, PR, okay. advertising, social media. Lots of red glasses, hip happening people. Yeah, I suppose so. But <laughs> was there a culture of looking after yourself, of wellness, of exercise? I'm very lucky encouraged? in terms of in the agency that I ended up working in straight out of uni, there was, it was really encouraged to look after yourself. And okay. they, they still, um, I, I still know a lot of people that work there. My partner actually works there. That's how I met her. Okay. okay. Um, so I still know a lot of people and they still are very good at that aspect of their HR. That makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it was, it was a fantastic place to work for that reason. So everyone's probably eating similar healthy, whatever healthy food is for you. I have to say that, but everyone's probably eating in a similar kind of way and having the same kind of conversations. I suppose so in that everyone's kind of got an interest in health to to some degree. Yeah. Um, But lots, lots of people doing lots of different things. I wouldn't say it was all the same. Um, although they're, you know, the, the probably more similar between the men who work there than the women. Okay. Um, and it was mostly women. Right. And we're in the minority in the, in agency because that's just like the PR agent or it was yeah. the PR industry. No, that's true. When yeah. I worked in it. Yeah. Um, but I think it was, there was a little bit of that office culture of like, don't have breakfast, come to the office, grab a coffee, have a pastry, mm. grab a quick lunch, mm. you know, get to the end of the day, you've kind of not eaten very much, which is not just that issue, but I mean, that's a lot of office workers. Everywhere I've worked before I became a PT, yeah, people's eating habits do kind of start to look like that. Right. Um, which is like a very functional, I guess, way of doing it in that you kind of go, this is fine, it's not a problem, but it's a bit of a, like, it's fine, but you're not necessarily thriving doing that. Um, and then you're kind of doing that and then you might get to a gym class in the evening and you've worked up a bit of a sweat, you go home, you do it all again, which again is totally fine, but you're not necessarily, it's, it's kind of, you're not necessarily progressing that You're way, maintaining, you know, aren't you're you? Maintaining. Managing. Yeah. And also my experience of working in office, which is limited, mm. is that it's just exhausting being in one place. Yeah. Relatively stationary. Yeah. It's all day. surprisingly tiring being sat Isn't down it? all day. Yeah. Yeah. All I want to do is sleep and eat. Yeah. Under someone's desk. Because <laughs> I wouldn't have my own desk. <laughs> Crawl in by the bin somewhere. Um, so was it an effort to go and work out in the evening although you were trying to be a morning person did your exercise routine slip um it probably ebbed and flowed and did that have an impact on how you felt about yourself um i i would say so i mean i was definitely i was going out a lot more uh-huh. than I, back then than uh-huh. i do now yeah and i was drinking a lot more mm-hmm. um when i worked in an office job than i do now mm-hmm. um and, you know, the alcohol is one of the biggest, as it is with a lot of people, contributors to any kind of fluctuation that I had with weight or how I was looking. Do you mean just the alcohol or then what you'd eat when you'd had at the end of the night or whatever? Um, a combination of those. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. The kebabs. At the so you'd eat late and then wake up and you'd be like, oh. Yeah. But I would still credit the alcohol with having a bigger negative impact than mm-hmm. the food afterwards for me right okay and that and and which is why like now the way that i live i could i could i probably could have a kebab for dinner i probably feel great about it yeah but i could but i couldn't have six beers in a kebab right i could keep the food but the i drink much less now. okay okay well you can't you can't exercise at your level 
yeah. compete and drink a lot. You just can't. Your body doesn't want it. And I'm much more kind of invested in my own sleep now yeah. as well. Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. Which yeah. is very much a over lockdown and, and kind of getting into working as a PT. I've just learned more about it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I definitely notice now the difference between a night after a few drinks or a night with no drinks. And when you have to get up early, it obviously makes a massive difference. Wait to get to my age. <laughs> So when you're, I thought this image of you also in lockdown practicing sleep and sort of coming out after 15 months going, oh, is it over yet? Yeah, in hibernation. Yeah, in hibernation. So when you're in the office and you're, um, so you're going out, you're being social, was there a sort of time when you started to think, oh, I'm not sure about this. I don't feel as good as I want to feel. Um, I'm not really doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And did you just feel a bit meh about everything definitely did you yeah a part of that was definitely um the career aspect i kept i can't i can't i did feel like there is a good way to describe it i kind of was like this is fine but i'm kind of just floating along mm-hmm. um and so i which and i kept i kept changing jobs doing the same thing right marketing but going to different companies where i thought maybe this will be the answer to try and find that spark. Yeah. Um, and then I, I probably, the, the combination of um, food and that probably came to a head. I went to work for a, a sports betting startup um, for, for a little while. And that was a bit like going back to uni in terms <laughs> of the culture. I can kind of it's imagine. It's exactly what you imagine it to be, <laughs> which is a bunch of guys sat around with Sky Sports on and then going to Weatherspoons. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly what it was, and it was great fun. But that was a bit of a kind of burnt out feeling after a year or so of doing that. Okay. Um, and then the job I had after that was working for a sports nutrition company. How interesting! So kind of getting closer to the fitness industry. I was I sort of at that stage was taking something I was passionate about and kind of trying to meld it with what I was already doing. Hmm. Um. And then it was when I got there and even that, I was like, I don't like this very much. That was what kind of made me eventually and then the pandemic hit and think, right, time time to dive in and do something I'm actually going to really enjoy. So when the pandemic hit, Mm -hmm. were you released from your job? I was made redundant um, four months, five months into the pandemic, um, by which point I'd already started my personal training qualification so that just accelerated the whole process for me. So you were like, good, that's great. Yeah. That's so clear now yeah. what, I meant, what I want to do, what I'm yeah. meant to be doing. I mean, it wasn't ideal timing. No, sure. But it w- I was already on a different path. Okay. And so it, it wasn't a major issue. And I just, it, it, I'm very, again, super fortunate. I was able to just, not everyone can just change careers like that. And I was just in a position where I could just dive in and commit. Um, and it, it kind of meant that when I did start the business up, kind of just threw everything at it, you need a little bit of luck. Mm-hmm. I got lucky. It kind of started slowly pick up momentum, pick up momentum. And I was training people in parks and over Zoom, obviously, for the, for the start of my business. How did you, so, because it's quite something to set up your own business and it's a very competitive yeah. world, isn't it? Personal training. Did you... Did you start with training friends? Yeah, friends and, then, and family and then and word family. of mouth and okay. recommendations. And it kind of built from there. And then, um, you know, 
a couple of local interests. I think the thing about being a PT for the, the you know the vast majority of PTs who aren't doing it online or anything like you know your Joe Wicks or anything like that, but a lot of PTs is that you don't you don't need hundreds of people. You need to find kind of ten or fifteen. Right. Um. So I kind of viewed it. I tried to view it like that. Of we're trying to help a few people, and then it'll just start to roll on and build from there. Really. Do you have a? This is such a naughty question I'm about to ask you. Do you have a mission statement? Do I you don't have a clear. No. Pitch. I don't have really. I, it's something I thought about a lot because I came from like a brand world. Where You're used like an asset, can't I? Yeah, and and I kind of, when I was started doing it, I kind of had a go at writing that for myself, and then I've written various bios for the, over the last couple of years for, you know, the website of the gym I work at and things like that. And at the moment, I'm in such a like learning phase that every time I write a mission statement in a couple of months, it's kind of it's kind of moved on. Mm, terrific. Um, I'm just trying to absorb as much as I can at the moment. And that's where the nutrition stuff comes in as well. Yeah. And it's kind of taking my own experiences of doing that and trying to like reflect that back on how it can affect other people, what it looks like in terms of an actual business what it might look like in terms of a brand. But at the moment, I sort of see myself, I'm, you know, for most PCs, I'm, I work in a gym, but I'm like the brand. Yeah. As it, as it were. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, there's no sort of set mission statement. It's more just trying to figure it out as I go along a little bit at the moment. <laughs> this is after, listeners, this is after like how many years working in marketing and advertising? I like, know, just pin it down. That's I brilliant. wouldn't want I me as a client. That. I love that. that. We're going to take a quick break. Welcome back to this Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Jamie Bourne. And I just well, I just said to Jamie, you can ask me questions. You can be rude to me. It's all completely fine. So as a menopausal, post-menopausal woman, so I'm 56. Yeah. I'm 55. I'm about to be 56. I've exercised a lot during my life, not always with the best intention. <laughs> um, and so I've overdone it a lot. And I know that it's it's a very different process now from when I was premenopausal. Mm-hmm. So despite supplementing with hormones, I just don't have that energy in the tank. Yeah, I can't flog my body in the way that I want to used to that I want to mm-hmm. Freudian slip. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very different. Yeah, yeah. My but, joints hurt. Yeah, uh, I'm not as flexible. I get my tiredness is different. My sleep's different. So. Talk to me, because I know that you've trained women of my generation. Talk to me about that, particularly for women, particularly for menopausal women, because it's. I know lots of celebrities are talking about it, mm-hmm. but um, they're celebrities. I think the thing that you know, I was kind of saying earlier. I'm, ju- I'm, ju- I'm very. I'm in learning phase of my career. The thing that keeps coming up mm-hmm. is individualization, and that actually personal training could be more personalized for a lot of people. What do you mean? I think there are a lot of people who have probably had, might have had a personal trainer in the past who said, oh, yeah, they really put me through my paces, yada, 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 but didn't stick with it. You know, a great session. I was knackered at the end. What are you doing now? Oh, yeah. I haven't been to the gym in a year. Right. Um, and I think, like, it's like you said, like it is a developing area. Everyone's kind of developing their understanding of it. But... 
the idea that you have to go in and flog yourself in the gym every time I don't think is the case I think more, more people could do with being aware that like it's okay to go into the gym and have a workout that doesn't leave you on your back at the end you know unconscious or just go and lie down on a mat for 20 minutes you could and do sleep. that too well in fairness that would probably be beneficial yeah. for most people because sure. stress and the other the other stuff going on in people's lives is also impacting them in physical ways that they're not necessarily aware of um what's the best exercise for stress to bring those cortisol levels down and calm your adrenal glands I w- there's no it depends is going to be the answer to any question that starts what's the best <laughs> I, I think okay, yeah you know, it's individual isn't yeah, it yeah it's it's totally going to be individual because someone might really like doing heavy squats and the fact that they're doing something enjoy that they enjoy might be enough someone might really like doing sprints on a treadmill mm-hmm. someone might really like stretching mm-hmm. and all those things are going to have all those things could have the same benefit for different people in terms of that, you know, that kind of emotional response to the exercise. Do you think lockdown has enabled um, people to access working out uh, in a in a in a in? Is it easier? Is it easier to, for people to go online and do a class? Do you think that's happened? Because lots of gyms went under, didn't they? Yeah, it was... The business model's changed now. The business model's changed now. People are used to doing things in their homes. I think that's... I think, unfortunately, it probably hasn't had the effect that, oh, it's easier, so more people are doing it. Um, And I actually think in the last couple of years, you know, despite the fact that everyone's been told for two years that, oh, it's actually quite good to be generally healthier, there's still a shocking lack of information or anything kind of help to actually get people to that point other than like well I know I should go to the gym but you don't go to the gym and that's fine but just because people can access a video of it now I don't think people are necessarily in big enough numbers than you would expect and the thing is is that it's all well and good accessing a video or doing something at home you have to know what you're doing yeah you, you have do. to you have to understand the technique People get stuck in injury cycles so, so easily. Yeah. From, and that's not just beginners, you know, any, it can be any level, any age, but it is important doing stuff, doing stuff safely. And a lot of these home workouts are going to involve things like jumping around. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's just asking for an injury, really. It's not to say that it's totally wrong. No one should do it. But once you get one injury, it becomes easier to get the next one and it just means that people end up not doing anything for a while because they're in a little bit of pain and they think that they've got, they've got no options. Yes. Yes. And then they actually, yeah, well, I've experienced that of being yeah. injured and then, you know, you injure your hip and then it becomes your shoulder and then it becomes your neck and then you have to yeah. pay someone to sort you out. And lots of people get injured and think, I'm going to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, I'll just stop that. Mm-hmm. And then it gets worse. And actually, one of the things that I I try to do as a personal trainer is is bridge the gap a little bit, not saying I'm trying to be a physio, but bridge the gap a little bit between people who might be dealing with various issues and still getting them moving and dealing with that through movement. What's the difference between training when you're in your early 20s as a, and I'm talking again about women, Mm -hmm. to training in your mid 50s? There's a lot, a lot. I mean, from a biological perspective, it's going to be much easier to put on muscle mass 
when you're younger for both men and women um but also like you said you're just dealing with different kind of social psychological factors at those ages yeah. you know you might ha- you might be more stream might have more to worry about as a in your later years mm-hmm. you know if you're a carefree 25 year old it's going probably going to be easier to get out for a jog you've got nothing else to worry about do a bit of exercise um and because of the biological factors you're probably going to get better results and again that then feeds a cycle of uh, sticking with things it's harder to stick with things that you're not feeling like you're getting the results from um and i think your your body does start to work against you a little bit as you go older and that, that's not a reason to not do anything but it's just something i think you've got to be aware of that some some of this stuff is going to be hard no matter what age you do it but some of it's going to be harder the older you get but that's okay and what do you think are the main reasons that people don't exercise or find it in some way well people are embarrassed or they hated it at school or yeah i think people do people put, present you with a similar narrative over and over uh yeah you hear you start to hear a lot of the same things i think people put a lot of emphasis on the idea of motivation okay to do things of like i, did, I just don't feel motivated so i'm not doing it mm-hmm. um and i think that that is kind of an overrated idea that you and that actually you can flip that to say that well action feeds motivation you can't think yourself into if you want to lose weight you can't think yourself into losing weight oh i think you can you think you can yeah i think okay. if you have the right pictures in your head oh, you are affirming definitely but the action is what's gonna yes it's a combination of it is but until you act nothing's gonna happen what about the guy who was in prison can't remember who he was and he was i don't know he was in solitary confinement i think and he played the perfect round of golf i think tony robbins talks about this right he played a perfect round of golf for however many years mm-hmm. and when he came out i mean he did every you know every blade of grass mm-hmm. he'd imagined it over and over and over again and he came out and he had a perfect round of golf when he played the round of golf though okay yeah, it's, a, it's you know, golf. it's a, it's a, isn't it? It helps, question, doesn't it? Because it's I mean, it's, question. you know, the whole, your, uh, your, your psyche and your consciousness and what's going on mentally mm-hmm. and emotionally yeah. is part of it. I guess what I'm saying, it's not just go to the gym, hate every minute of it. It's not no. going to be great, is it? No, but you aren't, I think just to come at the motivation thing, I suppose, I mean that you are, if you are sat still on your sofa, cause you're not motivated. Mm it's going to be much easier to feel that motivated feeling that you're looking for once you've started moving in some way. I don't mean moving by going for a run. I just mean moving towards moving. your goal, yeah. taking some kind of action, signing into the gym class, not even going, just going on your phone and checking in. Do you think? Doing something. If you sit totally still, I think it's going to be much harder. That moment of motivation is pretty unlikely to just strike you. Okay. Whereas you're in control of, of what you do to some extent. You might what, not feel that way. What about all those people who sign up after Christmas? You know, that old story. Yeah. They'll sign up to the gym after Christmas and they might go, I don't know, January the 3rd and 4th. And then yeah. they go, oh, yeah, I've had enough of that. <laughs> They've taken action. They have taken action. But there's, it's, that's what I mean about individualised. There's so many things that can then get in your way. You sign up, you took action, that's great, but then you get busy at work or then you've got a holiday coming up so you think I'm going to take a while off or then you've got to look after your kids or then you got injured or you're not getting results and then you stop because you think, well, it's a lot of hard work in the gym. 
but I'm not getting any results. So I don't want to put that hard work in it anymore. How do you go about building your business then? So you've done your PT course. Yep. And now you're doing a nutritional qualification. Yeah. Uh, does that qualify you as a nutritionist at the end? It's so I, I would use the nutrition coach. Um, being my understanding of, of nutritionist is that it's pretty easy for anyone to call themselves a nutritionist. It's is not it? particularly regulated. Oh, I might. Do, I might start. A, but you could start. Anyone <laughs> I'm could. Start. Being a dietitian is is medical. Yeah, yeah. but nutritionist is in a similar vein to personal training is a, is pretty unregulated in what you can say that you are and what you do sure um the reason i like the kind of phrasing of nutrition coach is because my my i think nutritionist sounds a bit sciencey and although there is definitely science involved and that's important i think the behavioral aspect and looking at habits and smaller actions is actually what's going to help more people do you have a mantra around food for, I guess for it's not, not a strict mantra, but I balance and moderation is definitely part of it. I mean, I, the way I eat now, I eat a lot. Do you? Yeah, more than I've, more than I've ever eaten, 100%. But it's a little bit of a false kind of, you know, the life of a PT is not like a real person's life this is true um and i think that more people it's worth more people knowing that because you go on instagram and flick through and you're seeing all these personal trainers you follow and you're like why don't i look like them mm -hmm. it's because their life is very very different and it's not to say it's easy to look a certain way if you're a pt but it's just different i i regularly do twenty thousand steps in a day and i cycle 10 kilometers a day and that's without even training because and you're competing yeah so what does your what does your normal food day look like? Do you eat before you teach at 5.15? Yeah. Do you have like three egg yolks or something? I eat, so that's really cheap. I eat the, this might be interesting, I eat the same breakfast every day and I've had that breakfast for probably about two years straight. What do you eat? Um, it's it's oats, like overnight oats with okay. protein powder and berries and peanut butter. Okay, that sounds delicious. It's, I mean, yeah. the reason it's so easy to eat it every day is because I, I genuinely really like it. <laughs> sure. And people think it's, uh, you know, my girlfriend does mock the fact that I, I mostly eat the same lunch every day as well. What do you eat Because for I really like it. And it's just like a stir, stir fry with chicken, rice, vegetables and right. hot sauce. I really like it. And then do you eat in the evening? Yeah. And then do you snack during the day? Yeah. So I probably eat six or seven times a day. Okay. At least six times a day. Okay. Um... Because I eat so early, eat the breakfast so early, a lot of time I'll then eat in between breakfast and lunch and then I'll eat before, I always, almost always train at the same time every day. So mm -hmm. I, I can eat before I train and that's kind of fueling, fuel a little like fuel for that. And then a like protein shake after that and then dinner. And then I, I've got like, I guess from growing up and always having a sweet snack, I, I quite often will have... I mean, it's it's the kind of low calorie ice cream, but some kind of sweet thing in the most evenings. Okay. Yeah. Like a reward. Yeah. Well, I I, w I wouldn't say reward just because I don't really see it as I've done something that I need a reward for. Okay. Um, I just like you it. You like it. Yeah. Just and you're like gonna it. have it. Yeah. Well, I, I, exactly. I'm gonna yeah. have it because I I want it. Yeah. Yeah. I want the big portion. Yeah, and I do eat big portions. What happens when you're, we're coming to the end now, but what happens when your routine is thrown off, when you're on holiday? Yeah. If you do have a, I don't know, you go to a wedding. Yeah. You allow yourself a, a late night. Yeah. How is that? Yeah, that is 
certainly more of a challenge now than it was before. I'm I like my routine. Right. Um I, I do and it and it that's what I guess what part of what makes it easier for me to eat that way and for me to kind of live that way is I mostly have a very set routine. So I wouldn't say that it brings me it's it's difficult. I will still quite happily go to a wedding and eat spare portions that are on the table as well as my own. That's fine. <laughs> Um, but I re- I like to try and bounce back quickly. Okay. I, I do see it as a as a kind of get back into my routine. What's the impact like on your relationship? Um, I get I, I guess it, it's not huge. I guess because the relation like most people's relationships in the last couple of years, we eat more meals together now than we did two years ago. Okay. When we were working separate jobs in separate offices and we didn't see each other between half eight and seven. So all your stuff happens separately anyway and it still happens and then you come back together. Yeah, we will always have, um, my partner and I, dinner is kind of like the meal we'll have together. So I kind of have that aspect of flexibility where, you know, she enjoys good food as well and she likes she likes cooking as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she probably wouldn't say she does, but she... She does. She has to do a lot more of the cooking now. I work in the evenings. Okay. Um, but I think it probably is frust- frustrating at times to her because I'm quite rigorous. Sure. Yeah. yeah it's very focused, isn't so. it? Yeah. And are you competing every weekend? No, no, no. So that so these kind of competitions are two or three times a year. I'll do these things. Okay. Um, but I, I train in a like with a group that kind of works towards these competitions have you got i've just struck me have you got big physical challenges lined up for the next 15 20 years you're going to run across the sahara uh probably not the sahara yeah i i know yeah it's that kind of endurance level thing is a bit is a bit much for me okay um i've never been someone who looks that that far ahead okay these things two years ago i didn't know i was going to be doing this sure so it's a it's a bit like the way I'm approaching my business, which is probably not the best way to be approaching a business. But I'm not so sure about that. Really? Yeah, I think if you're stimulated by it, if it makes your heart sing, yeah, then do it. Yeah, and then if, when it doesn't, don't. Yeah, it's kind of a simple lesson about life. Yeah, you can get caught up in all sorts. Yeah, no, I buy into that totally. Um, so I'm much fitter now and much I mean, far better shape than I've ever been in. So I kind of just want to keep building on that, and obviously the nutrition's a big part of that. Um, and I'm sure that the more, uh, you know, that's kind of one of the interesting things about doing the nutrition coaching is the, the more that you actually, I, I just like having these conversations with people and you learn things from other people as well. It's not just a one way thing where you, you just like expel your experience onto someone and they go away and they have fixed everything. You can pick stuff off of, up off of other people as well. I get the feeling you offer an holistic, holistic package. Where can people find you and where do you work? Um, so everything, people can find me on Instagram. Mm-hmm, um, which is? My handle is jbornfitness. Okay, we'll have that anyway, but okay. we need to say it. Okay. <laughs> um, and I work, so I'm, I'm based in kind of Leighton Hackneywick area. Um, so I work out of a, a small independent gym in Hackneywick. Okay. Um, with a couple of sites, so all my personal training is done there. But you also work online as well? I also work online, so um, I do online personal training in terms of sessions as right, well. But right. like, and you, tr- you know, one of the benefits of nutrition coaching is it is more flexible. You can deliver it online as well. Sure. Um, which is nice because, yeah. you know, personal training is always going to be slightly restricted by 
your geography. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nice to be able to kind of help people who want your help, even if they don't live nearby. Yeah. If you were, this is your last question. Okay. It's been lovely speaking to you. <laughs> Thank you. If you were going on an island, mm-hmm. any kind of island, mm-hmm. and you were taking five foods with you, yeah, what would you take? Yeah, I, I listened to one of the other podcasts and I, I, this came up and I was Have like- Have you been practicing? Yeah, pizza. Pizza? Pizza. What kind of pizza? You've it's, got to be specific. If you've been listening, we need to drill it right I, down. We, uh, my partner and I went to Naples a few years ago. Uh-huh. And I think we were there for three days. <clears throat> and I think I had eight margarita pizzas. Yeah, um, <laughs> the best pizzas in Italy, they Naples. Are. But we then did, every region says, oh, we have the best pizza. They, they are. And I had, I had, you know, done my homework. I had my list of pizzerias. <laughs> we went for dinner one night. And then on the way home, I had to stop by a pizzeria to get margarita. <laughs> To take it off. So it probably, you know, probably even one of those. I just, yeah. I just really like pizza. Delicious. Yeah. Okay, margarita pizza, what else? Yeah. Um, what else would I go for? Um, I mean, again, I'm a bit, it would be, it would be pasta. My my mum's spaghetti bolognese. Yeah. She'll definitely listen to this and she'll be, she'll really she's going to appreciate be, the shout out She's going to be very proud. She's going to love that. She's going to have tears in her eyes. She definitely will. And then hopefully she'll package up some spag bowl and send it to me. Okay, so you've got spaghetti bolognese, which is a bit cheaty, but I'll let you. You didn't yeah. break it down into pasta and then... Yeah, no. Bin. So you've got spaghetti bolognese, you've okay. got pizza, yeah. you've got three other things. You can take drink as well. Um, would I Would I take a drink? Oh, do you know, I, lo- I my favourite drink when it comes to boot, like a Negroni is my go-to drink. I yeah. Now I drink much less. I'm very mm. much more in the... If I'm going to have something, I want something I really like. I, yeah. really, want, I, I really want, you know, and I just... A Negroni, if anyone doesn't know, is a Campari gin and then some kind of red vermouth. Mm. And I love them. Yeah. But they make my head go sideways. Yeah. And they are. Every time I drink them, them, I go mad. I love them. Yeah. yeah. So I could, that could be my hydration strategy on the island. (laughs) Yeah. It's really going to work well, that one. (laughs) (laughs) Running around in circles. Yeah. Just eating pizza. Okay. Pizza. (laughs) Yeah. Negroni. Spaghetti, bolognese, two other things. I mean, something sweet, probably ch- chocolate. I don't know how okay. I could pick. I don't even know how I could narrow it down more than that. We'll just say chocolate. Yeah. What's the next thing? Is this the list Fifth that thing, you thought yeah. you get off a personal trainer? Of pizza, <laughs> chocolate and Yeah, it's trained to be a nutrition coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about balance. <laughs> um, one more thing. One more thing mm. um, that I really, really like. You know what, for balance then, I'd, I'd probably take the breakfast that I've had for the last, you know, I'll take my overnight oats, my overnight chocolate oats. Okay, with the peanut butter. Yeah, for, and... ba- for the balance. Okay. That's my protein source. Okay. I can have that in the morning. Okay, Jamie, amazing. <laughs> I just want to say, no vegetables. No. No fruit, no salad. Oh, there's berries in the oats. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you there's so much. There's a slice much. of orange in the negroni. Oh yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's Thank been great. You. Thanks for listening. I'd love to know your favourite bit from this episode. Let me know on Instagram at This Food Thing Podcast or join us again in the next episode. 